on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was with a few of his disciples. Uh, specifically this account in Matthew chapter 26. Go ahead and turn there. Uh, gives this... You talk about a great story. Uh, this is not a, a funny story. This is an agonizing story. This is a, a thriller moment. But this is that, that agonizing moment in that story where Jesus experiences sorrow like he's never experienced before. Weight of the world like he's never experienced before. The, the sin of the world like he's never experienced before. His cup was full. His cup was full. I, uh, I want to read this passage. I want you to be able to see it with your own eyes. Um, so if you do have a Bible, there's, if you don't, there should be one in the pew or it should be on your app or you can look it up um, on your phone uh, some other way. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Um, excuse me one second. Matthew chapter 26. Um, I want to start in verse 40. Actually, I'm not going to start there. I'm going to back up a little bit. No, I'll start in verse 38. Verse 38 said, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus. This, this is an emotion. This is, this is before the cross. This is before the first whip. This is before the first punch. This is be before the first moment when his beard was ripped out. This is before the first insult. This is before clothes were stripped from him. This sorrow, this feeling, even unto death, is simply that. It's a feeling. And as Jesus felt this weight, this sorrow, even unto death, I want to know, <laughs> have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt like in the moment, in the circumstance, in this life, in this season that you're at. It may not be death, but it sure feels like it. It's dark. It's hard. It's difficult. Everything seems numb. Everything seems a lot. Y'all are shaking your head like, yeah, you've been there. Maybe you've been there, or maybe today, perhaps you are there. Well, you're in good company. Jesus was 100% God. But he was also 100% man. It's easy for us to understand the reality. Well, so for some of us, it's easy for us to understand the reality that God is the Son of God. But when it says that he's the Son of Man, it's to give us this reality that he was also human. That yes, he was holy and he never sinned. He was born of a virgin. He didn't carry the seed of sin that every single human that has ever lived carries. Jesus was sinless. He was holy. But yet he still carried the weight. He carried 
temptation. He carried the reality of every part of our life that you and I have in different ways. In fact, it says in several different places, but specifically to the letter to a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that he was tempted at all points just as we were yet without sin. Where have you been tempted? Jesus was tempted in that same way. So here stands Jesus. This is the night before he was crucified, feeling this sorrow even unto death. And Jesus, this is a conversation he's having with specifically Peter, James, and John. Peter and the sons of, of Zebedee, which is James and John. He says to them, remain here. They're in this beautiful garden. You should Google this. The Garden of Gethsemane later. This beautiful, beautiful place. It's nighttime. And he's asked them to just hang out by this tree. You guys stay right here and pray. Just remain right here. And I'm going to go over here. I'm going to spend some time praying myself alone. I just need a moment. And he walks over there. <laughs> it says, going a little further... Jesus fell to the ground on his face and he prayed, saying, My Father, Abba, if it is possible, let this cup, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. In other words, not what I want, but ultimately, Father, what you want. You see, he recognized his human nature. He recognized his desire. He recognized this temptation like, I want out. Can you please take this from me? <sighs> Exhale. But then he inhaled. In that very next breath, he says, not my will, but yours. The life of Jesus was marked by surrender. Even in this prayer. It says, then he came back to his disciples. I think this is where the story gets a little bit like, y'all, for real. <laughs> this is, the, Jesus maybe at this moment invented the emoji, the face palm. Like, this is maybe this moment for Jesus. And he walks back um, to find, I <laughs> uh, love this. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping in verse 40. And he said to Peter, so... Could you not watch with me one hour? <laughs> he essentially says, you have one job. <laughs> Can you just be on the lookout? Can you just pray and watch? They're being hunted. It's a very tense time. You had one job. Watch. Guys, I'm going to give you another chance. I need you to watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. To live even with Jesus in that moment, was to watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That temptation was to, to fall asleep. That temptation was to, to be lackadaisical. That, that, that temptation was to just be comfortable in the moment. Have you been there? Sometimes when we're suffering, sometimes when our cup is filled with difficult times, sometimes if you're like me, it's just easy to check out, isn't it? Isn't the, the temptation isn't like, I didn't want to throw a drug out there to be trite. 
maybe the temptation for you isn't some drug or alcohol or some crazy thing that happens in the state of Nevada. Maybe, maybe for you, the temptation is simply to be comfortable. Maybe the temptation for you is to simply be comfortable. I think that's actually the plague of the American church. I think that's actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully have time today to share a little bit of my story. Um, and that's actually a big part of my story um, in my late teens, early 20s, is, man, when things are tough, it's just easy to check out. It's easy to quit. It's easy just to find comfort in the, cope, the things that you can cope with. It's easy to find comfort in the things that will accept you and the things that aren't hard and the things that aren't difficult. Isn't it? I think that's kind of how the American culture is, right? When it's hard, that means we stop. That when the marriage is hard, when the friendship is hard, when the workout is hard, when the, when the, when the health plan that I'm on is hard, when the whatever is hard, I'm done. When the church frustrated me or that person said that thing or that pastor didn't call me back or that this, y'all are smiling, all right? It was Pastor Cameron, I'm sure, not me. That's never happened to me, I'm sure. <laughs> You're laughing because it is probably me. When we disappoint you, and if you've not been here long, stick around. You'll be good. Yeah, it'll, it'll just, it just takes a few weeks. So. Um, when, it, when it gets difficult, we're like, what's our first reaction? I'm out. There's always another church. There's always another woman. There's always another friend. There's always another life. There's always another car. There's always another house. There's always something else that I think ultimately is Satan's bait. You see, I don't, I don't think the bait of Satan is this, like, he wants us just to walk around and just hurt people and, you know, run uh, people off the road into ditches. I, I don't think that that's really his game. I think his game, truly, is to distract us for 80 years with a great life. Praise God for America. I'm so grateful for this country. I'm so grateful for my life and for my upbringing and the blessings that God has given me. Don't hear me wrong. But trust me, comfort, I think that's the plague. And I think Jesus is teaching us something here. Today, we're in a vision series. Today, we're in a, uh, a four-week series. In, in these next few weeks, this week, next week, and the following week, we're walking through are three uh, steps to our, our mission statement. You see it when you walk in. You've, you've heard us say it over and over and over, live, love, serve. Our mission is to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus. So today is about living like Jesus. I want to be alive like Jesus was alive. But I think, I think this is the key. I think to truly experience life, we have to come this close to death, and what death really is. And we die to ourselves. And the moment we die to ourselves, we get to the edge of death to ourselves. Then at that moment, we realize, like, yeah, metaphorically, I'm dying. But I don't got to die. Jesus died. Amen? This is the best part. Galatians 2.20 is one of the best verses in the whole Bible. 
Oh man, I got to come back to that. But this is one of the best verses in the whole Bible. I am crucified with Christ, Paul says. It means I died with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I don't live anymore. Like it's not about my life. But Christ, he lives in me, in this life that I now live in the flesh. That like I'm obviously alive. I've obviously, whether I've got four days left or 4,000 days left or 400 days left, I don't know. But whatever I've got left, it's Jesus's. It's God's. This life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Paul also said later in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 21, it says that, uh, it's this whole idea about Paul. Paul's writing uh, the whole book of Philippians from prison. So that whole coffee cup, like the whole idea of a coffee verse where it's like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or like all those nice pretty verses that we put on there with flowers around it. That came from Paul sitting in a prison cell. So when we want to talk about hardship, let's talk about the guy that wrote that from a prison cell. Nonetheless, he writes in, yeah, verse one, or chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know what I'm talking about? They want to kill him. Literally, because they think he's spreading the, the gospel and that Jesus is everything. They, they, they think he's spreading it and it's causing trouble. So they want to take his life. He's like, fine. You want to kill me? Awesome. For me to live? Oh, you want me to live? Awesome. It's just about Jesus Christ. Oh, but you want to kill me? It's all gain. You kill me? I get to see Jesus like this afternoon. Uh, you, you let me live? Oh, man, I'm taking like a million people with me. Right? It's a win-win situation, and that's the way we're supposed to live like Jesus. Paul lived like Jesus. That's the idea of living like Jesus, but we have to come to the edge of our own life, to the edge of death, and we do die to ourselves. But listen, hey, if you're here today and you've never experienced life in Christ, today is the day. But here's the thing. You have to come to your own death. To yourself, And when you get to the death of yourself, you get to the edge, you get to that moment and you realize that at the edge of your own death, it's life like you've never experienced. And that was my story. That was my story, which I'll get to in a moment. So Jesus continues this. Bless you. Um, said, so could you watch with me one more hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is recognizing that this, this body, this flesh is weak, but the spirit is always ready. Guys, if we could just push through this body to something greater, what God has put in our body, our spirit and our soul, what is truly us, we can conquer and do anything. This body, this flesh, is simply just temporary. So rewind back for a moment. Because where I want to part today is, yes, we're talking about live like Jesus, and the whole context is about the death of Jesus. But rewind a moment. Jesus says something right at the beginning of this passage that I think is quite interesting, that you just, you just participated in. You, you just participated in. Um, you just took of the cup, metaphorically, that Jesus 
took for you. So when Jesus says, when he's on his face, in other accounts of the gospel, it says that Jesus, like he was filled with so much sorrow that he sweated blood, drops of blood. Because he wasn't just getting ready to go through the physical agony. He, he truly, he was about to experience the weight of your sin and mine and the sins of the world. But the greatest agony he would ever experience is for the moment, the moment, for three days, for the first time in all of eternity, he was going to be separated from his dad. And I think, honestly, that was the worst part for him. This relationship and the Father, God, understanding the weight. I've got a lot of questions for God. And that's one of my top ones. Is we put, we're, because of the humanness of Jesus, we're able to see and, and hear and know the story. But what was God thinking what was the emotions that, that God the Father was thinking when he sent his son, Jesus, to save us? When he sent his only begotten, his only one-of-a-kind son, who he created the world with, with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When he sent his only son, and he knew that because of the holiness of God, that he knew that that next day, and for a few days, if, if Jesus was going to be covered in the sins of the world, that he, by the nature of holiness, the sinful nature of man, and the holiness of God, could not mix. It's not just oil and water. It's darkness and light. It completely separates. And so they knew. And that's why Jesus, on the cross, for the first time ever experienced, literally his body is broken and ripped apart, and everybody's betrayed him, and everyone is left. And it's one of his last things he says. He says, God, Abba, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? He felt abandoned and alone for you. He knew the greater plan was to unite us all back to the Father. To, so that, because we couldn't be holy. We couldn't be holy without Jesus' sacrifice. And so he was bridging all of that together. But that agony essentially was the cup took in that moment and I think I think the uh, I think the uh, the thing I want to point out today is that the flesh that we're talking about how it says the flesh is weak but the spirit is always willing and that the cup is the thing that, that Jesus said Father would you let this cup pass from me and we use this metaphor as well like Hey, man, my cup, I mean, it's kind of old school, but we still use it. It's like, oh, man, my cup is running over. Oh, my cup is full. You, you get the idea. This cup is our life. But the cup is, is actually not necessarily our big picture life. The cup for Jesus was what was happening in that moment. The cup, what was, was happening in that season. And for you today, maybe you're identifying with Jesus in that moment, and you would essentially raise your cup up to the Lord this morning and, and just say, Father, would you let this cup pass from me? You can ask that. It's okay to ask that.
not my will, yours be done, God. It's in the Lord's prayer. It should be in the tongue always that it's not about us, it's about God. So before we go any further, we're not done yet, I just want to, I want to stop and I think in order for us to live like Jesus, sometimes we have to come to the edge of our own, the death of ourselves. And maybe, maybe today, maybe more gently, um, maybe you're here today and your cup is filled with um, a lot of weight, a lot of sorrow, like Jesus was. Maybe it's circumstantial. Maybe the people that are supposed to be watching and praying for you are sleeping. Maybe it's something you have to face tomorrow like it was for Jesus. Maybe it was something that you know is supposed to be united that's so divided as Jesus experienced with his father was about to experience. But today you're burdened. Today you're heavy. Um, I'm wondering if we could just, before we go, before we go any further, um, as it was last week, as I want it to be every week. I want prayer to be the forefront of everything we do. It should be the tip of the arrow, of the spear, of everything flying through the air for a conduit. So I just wonder in this vulnerable moment, before we go any further, if there's anybody here that is heavy, weighted, burdened, and just simply wants, we, I just say a prayer for you. If you could just stand, stand right where you're at. And I'd like to pray for you. Awesome. If you're if you're near or around, if you could just extend your hand, or if you're close enough, maybe put your hand on their shoulder or something. Father, thank you for these people and I. I'm standing to a God, it's so easy to be weighted and burdened. And Jesus, Jesus, you were weighted. I feel the sorrow that day, not because of something you did, but just because of what you were about to face. So Father, I just I just pray over these individuals today that as I stand as well, God, that, that you promise to us that, that we are to come to you. Those that are heavy and weary, and you'll give them rest. That your yoke, your weight, your, your work, your life is easy and your burden is light. Not because life is easy, but because you've done the work. God, release these people from the weight that they see, that they feel, God. God, remind them of the gospel. Remind them that they are forgiven in the name of Jesus. That by faith they can be free. God, remind them that the hurt that they carry from what others have done 
that you died for that too. Forgiven. 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 Father, I just pray that word over them. The word forgiven. Jesus, you are so good. And you are so worthy to be praised. Father God, you are so powerful and you are so holy. Thank you for your holiness. And thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to make it possible for us to be holy with you. Holy Spirit, empower us. Empower these individuals that are standing today. God, give them 4,000 extra points today. Give them what they need. Give them so much more energy. Give them so much more of you today that they need right now. Help them to know that conduit loves them. But more importantly, help them to know, Jesus, that you love them, that you know them, that you see them, that you hear them, and that you value them. And we just pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We love you. If your cup is filled with sorrow and hardship and burden. There are times where we need to realize that this cup is not our life. This cup is simply the season of life we're in. It's simply the circumstance that we are in. Okay? Some of y'all are nervous. Sometimes, we need a lawsuit. I, I, new pastors because they one's got glass in his eye. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you can email those lawsuits to Cameron at conduitministries.com. Sometimes we need a new season. Sometimes we need a new cup. Sometimes God needs to fill it with something else. Sometimes we need to fill it with something else. Sometimes today we need new friends, new environment, a new place, a new song, a new verse, a new moment to be reminded that that cup is not our life. There is a greater life and life ultimately goes on. That we don't have to live in that sorrow or that brokenness or anything else that we carry or has been carried to us. The cup is not our life. The cup is the season we are in. 2019 for you maybe needs to be something like this. Maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you need this moment to be reminded that, you know what? That sorrow and that burden and that weight that I carried is no more. That 
action, that habit, that thing that I have been facing is no more. Today is a new day. And today you stake that claim. And today I want you to focus on what will be filled in this cup as we go forward. Because to live like Jesus, to serve like Jesus, to love like Jesus has got to be emptied, or the cup has to be emptied in order for to be filled with loving, living, loving, and serving like Jesus. Sorry, I got my things mumbled there. The cup has to be emptied in order to be filled with living, loving, and serving like Jesus. There we go. Got it right that time. So this whole idea of live, we come to the edge of death and we understand new life in Christ is like this. So I grew up in uh, southern Illinois, a town called Alton, Illinois. And uh, anybody been to Alton, Illinois? Anybody? Yeah? No? East Alton, Illinois? Wood River, Illinois? Anywhere in Illinois? Illinois? All right, Illinois! Not Chicago. That's like the fun part up there. We're just cornfields and stuff. Um, we're near a suburb of St. Louis. I grew up in a Christian home. It was a blessing. Uh, you've met my parents. Um, my mom and dad are here most of the uh, spring and summer. Um, many of you know my mom, Kathy, my dad, Jim. They were awesome parents. They were um, such a blessing in my life, my brother's life, teaching me with, uh, about Jesus from an early age, um, bringing us to church. Um, many of you, I know, uh, have been praying for my father who had a stroke a couple weeks ago. Uh, was pretty, pretty bleak. And still, he's got a really, really long way to go. But he is making some progress, praise God. Many of you are praying for him. I appreciate that. Yeah, you can clap. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Um, and so, um, much more on, on that at another point. But when I was raised in this Christian home, a lot of times, I don't know if you can identify... If you were raised in an environment like that, you, you, when people were sharing their testimony and they were like, when you hear testimonies like, yeah, I was in jail for 57 years and <laughs> I killed eight dudes and then I came to Jesus. You're just in the back like. <laughs> Maybe you can identify. Um, I mean, I did some bad stuff, but not that bad, um, I guess. Um, for me, growing up in a Christian home, what seemed so good and what seemed to be the life of Jesus and what it was like to live for Jesus or like Jesus seemed so normal. And I'm so, grace, I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. It's like number one on my, what am I most grateful for in life? But it's just like I shared in the context of being an American. With that blessing can also come discomfort. And again, just my, it's not your story, it's my story. And so part of my story is this reality that in that comfort, in that um, being used to going to church three times a week since nine months before you were born, and like never missing church and couldn't do travel soccer because it was missing church and like Christian camp and like Christian school and Christian music. Everything, right? 
I was grateful, but it was a lot. It was a lot for me. So what happened was, is I received Christ. I made a decision to, to get saved and receive Jesus as my Savior as a, as a young child um, at six years old. I, I thought I grasped the simplicity of it, which I believe I did, and I believe that was the moment when I was saved. I was baptized uh, at age seven, and it was awesome and exciting, and they had a really cool baptismal tank where you had to, like, not swim. And that's a whole other story. Rabbit trail. I only got 14 minutes. Okay. Focus. Okay. So growing up in this Christian home, I had a, a brother who was two years older than me named Jeremy, um, who was an incredible example of, <laughs> of, of being mature, uh, of always doing the right thing, of trying to keep me in line. I had everything in line of like, bro, do the right thing. <laughs> and uh, I think for the most part, outwardly, I did. And I think what happened, uh, just like so many people in their teenage years, uh, even if you have an environment like that, inwardly you go astray. Uh, and I became obsessed with this idea of, and, and some well, where I would do anything for a laugh. <laughs> uh, as long as it would make people laugh. And like me at all, I know. Uh, but when I was a teenager, it was at all costs. Um, and I've had to make a lot of apologies as an adult uh, <laughs> to my teachers and coaches and parents and stuff. Um, and all that to say, hearing the word of God over and over and over, it set a foundation that it it was incredible for me, but it took a long time for that to root deep and start to grow. Um, I heard this thing the other day, and um, they were talking about, uh, it was a woman, she was talking about, she was driving down the road, and she was uh, driving in the car with her, her uh, I think it was her daughter, so it was a, a woman and her daughter, and they were driving by, they were in this big downtown area, and they were talking about this huge skyscraper that they were building. And they were talking about how Drove by day after day after day, and they were so excited. They looked at what these, this skyscraper was eventually going to look like and how tall it was going to be. And this little girl was so excited all the skyscraper But every day when she would drive by for months and months and months, she'd see construction crews and construction crews over and over and over and fences all around, but she saw no progress of it going up. And the mom had to explain that for years, months or years, the, the work was down below, building around and getting the foundation. Things, not even just level, but getting it down deep so that it could grow to where it could. And I noticed that that was happening in my life, but I noticed no progress. It came in high school. Um, I, I was far from the Lord. Um, and I was still going to youth group. And I think... My youth pastor, uh, his name is Jason Taylor, and um, he made such an impact in my life. But this thing he said was probably one of the most uh, pivotal things that he's ever said or anybody's ever said to me uh, or about me. And uh, he's, I was going to youth group every Wednesday night. And I would bring friends. 
And uh, all we would do is goof off. During the message, during, during everything, I was a mess. And I overheard him, my youth pastor, say to one of the parents that um, it probably would be best if I didn't come back because all I did was distract everybody from paying attention. And I let it sit. Imagine hearing that, right? Then, but then I'm like, man, there's no way my mom's going to not let, make me go. <laughs> and then it changed me. It changed me. And then I was 19 years old at this point um, after my first year at a Bible college. Again, pretty far from the Lord and where I needed to be. Kind of in my own heart. Running, like, it's so numb to the spirit of God in my life. And being so disobedient. And I'm sitting there. And this, this conversation about what my youth pastor had said hit me real hard one day. I was working at uh, this place called Avis Rent-A-Car. And it was at the St. Louis Airport. Huge rent-a-car place. I mean, this giant parking lot. They had hundreds and hundreds of cars. And I was supposed to be cleaning them on a hot summer day. And I found the most comfortable uh, Lincoln boat-looking car I could find. I cleaned it really good. And then I drove it all the way back in the parking lot cranked the AC, and I just sat there. Um, and of all the things that I could have done, I turned on the radio and listened to a sermon. <laughs> As a 19-year-old kid who was so far from the Lord, uh, the last thing I w thought I would ever do, and a man named Charles Stanley, <laughs> this old-school old preacher, uh, changed my life in a matter of probably under a minute. And he said these words that between what my pastor Jason said and what he said changed my life. He said, and this is for you maybe today that, that are Christians that are in the room that you know, you know, you know what's right. And like me, you chose not to do it. And you've stiff-armed the spirit of God in your life and you know what it's like to be fully alive for Christ, but yet inside you're numb and seemingly dead to the things of God. Charles Stanley said this. He says, the most miserable person in the world is not someone that doesn't believe in God. The most miserable person in the world is someone that believes in God and is not 100% surrendered to him. And I don't know about for you, but for me, like, I'm not a big crier. Not a big, um, it's just not how I function, but maybe every couple years or something. Once in my life. That moment broke me, and I wept in this car in the back of Avis Rent-A-Car in the St. Louis airport. And within about 12 hours, I, I became right with the Lord, on fire 
from the Holy Spirit and felt an immediate call um, into ministry. It was so radical and life-changing and, and so radical that literally everybody I knew, my family, my friends, heads were spinning, not because of the life change that they saw from that moment on, although I hope and, and pray that, that they saw that life change, but because I communicated and they just, they, they had a hard time believing it, that it was going to happen, that I was changed. And I, I just, I'm sharing this because I think it's important for us to recognize that, that us living like Jesus isn't this radical, a lot of times, isn't this radical moment of like, I was so far from the Lord and I was selling this and I was doing this. Sometimes being far from the Holy Spirit and then being in tuned with the Spirit of God, being like stiff-arming the Holy Spirit to, to being obedient to the Spirit, sometimes that's literally a decision of understanding what it's like to be alive. And as it was for Jesus in Matthew 26, sometimes it's simply surrendering. And Conduit, we have this incredible, exciting vision, Vision 2025 for every man, woman, and child. And we, we talked a little bit about it last week. We're going to talk a little bit about it next week. Pastor Cameron's going to talk about this to love like Jesus and who that might look like and how that plays into our vision. And then the following week, we're going to talk about to serve like Jesus. And, and truthfully, there's two, there's two uh, I don't want to say demographics, but groups of people in my heart, that uh, in our, our leadership's heart, um, that we want to talk about, that we want to bring to the forefront of so many of our conversations. And those two, those two people, those groups of people um, in our city that we want to reach are the poor, and the de-churched. And I want to, I'll just, on the serve week, I want to unpack what those two categories kind of look like. Obviously, they don't look like one another. And I think that de-churched category was a little bit like I was. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm sharing that today. I think that de-churched, it's that like, it's that. Sitting and waiting to come alive and to experience what it's like to be alive and to live like Jesus. God is so good to us. He's been so good to me. And for me, I think about constantly Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated, God showed off. God literally showed off his love towards us. In that while we were still sinning, Christ died for you. You don't think that you're worthy enough to be saved? You don't think that you're worthy enough to be forgiven? That's a great place to start. Because you're not. And I'm not either. That's what makes his grace so amazing. But he shows off his love so that it can be about him and not about like, here's how great I've done. Okay, God, now you do the rest. No, no, it's surrender. As it was for Jesus. It was surrender. God, not my will, 
but yours. This cup. God, whatever I'm facing right now, this season, this moment, this trial, this relationship, this financial situation, this, this next season, this semester, this thing I'm feeling right now, this, this thing I've got to overcome, this thing that was literally thrown into my cup, I didn't even put it in there. I didn't even put it in there. But there it is. There it is. And I'm not saying that you should shatter it and throw glass in your friend's eyes. I'm not saying that. That's not your job. It's my job. No. That's not your job. Our cup is simply our life in, our, in regards to our flesh and our body. It comes and it goes. Our body is going to come and go. Our soul, our life, it echoes for eternity. It lives for eternity. Faith in Christ is eternity with Jesus. I'm going to close with this idea. I'm going to leave you with something. Um, this idea of what our cups should be filled with. I want to leave this actually with just parents. Um, you parents that are in the room, whether you have grown kids or little kids, and maybe this will help you. Um, maybe this will help you understand what like Jesus is like for you. Because listen to me for a second. I know there's a lot going on behind me, but to get this, just real quick. What does it look like for you to live like Jesus? Not like, okay, I know what the pastor talked about today, and I know he talked about this, and he talked about, but I'm talking, I want you to get this. I want, I want you to know when you walk out, what does it look like for me to live like Jesus? I know what it is for my church. I got the brochure, and hopefully you did if you're not there in the back. But hopefully you got the brochure, and you got an idea of what it's like for my church to live like Jesus, and I, want, I know what my church wants to do in the city and what that looks like for them to live like Jesus. But ultimately, guys, it's not the church or the city. It starts in the home. Men and women, moms and dads, single, everybody in this room. It starts at home and it starts in your heart. So it's right here. Let's, let's like cut all the fat. Let's like take shortcuts to this very moment to say, you know what? What are we living for? What are we living for? And ultimately, guys, I don't want, I'm not giving, us, I'm not giving you a, a cop-out. Like, yep, I'm in. I want to live for God in 2019. I want to live for God. Like, I'm all in. I want to be all in. I want to, like, God's got my everything. You know what? That's too generic. That's too up here. He wants the cup. He wants your life now. He wants specific. Up here is just too easy. This is why people love this is why people love country music, all right? Okay? 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 You don't know where I'm going, but I'm going. <laughs> country music. It's this idea of like, my dog, my, my car, my truck, my lady, my dirt roads. It's all this like, my life, I hope you dance. This idea up here. Are you with me? Thank God for unanswered prayers. <laughs> Up here, right? It's this, 
I'm going to live for Jesus. Found it, Lord. Yeah. He's not looking for that. He's looking for now. Now, he's not the God of yesterday or tomorrow. He's the God that's present now. Yes, he is God. Always, he's not trapped in time. But here, he wants now. Now, this moment, he is present and active. He wants your today. He wants your afternoon. He wants this very second of your life. He wants you now. So what needs to happen now? Now. Quit doing shortcuts. You need to talk to that person. Talk to them. You need to apologize. Apologize. You need to like own up. You need to, you need to commit financially. You need to step up and do this. You need to follow through with what you committed to someone. You need to, whatever it is, now. Do it now. He's the God of now. He'll help you now. You don't need to wait. Now. Commit. God, fill my cup. Fill my cup. I God, right now it looks like sorrow and agony and defeat. But God, it's your cup. I know I'd ask you to take it away, but God, I know I'm going to walk out of this room. I'm going to get in my car. And it is. It's sorrow and shame and guilt. That's my cup, God. I'd love for you to take it away. And I'm laying at your feet, but I'm really going to take my cup, God. It's about you and not about me. He wants. He wants the version of you now. He knows the version of what you're becoming, but he loves who you are right now. Parents, when you pick up your child, if you have little children, or if maybe you're grown, your kids are grown, think about the time, this is it. When you pick up your kids from school, what is the first thing they tell you about? If you've got multiple kids, is they're like fighting over and you got like, yo, chill, chill, hold on. You're like multiple kids and you've never lived until you've tried to hear like five children at once. But like once you start hearing day after day, what is the first thing they tell you about their day? It's different, isn't it? It's different. For, for my kids, it's, for each one of them, it's a different thing. I noticed this a couple weeks ago. I get in the car, and each one of my kids, it's almost like I can repeat, I can tell you what they're going to tell me about. For, for one of my kids, I'm not going to tell you which, but he tells me about the injustice that happened that day with that sub. And my other, my other, my other child tells me about, tells me about the relationship he has with the teacher and whether that teacher is angry with him today or not. And the other one tells me about the exciting and joyful and fun things they got to do. Why am I pointing that out? Because for them, that's what it's like to live and be fully alive. Because look, 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 look. God's wired each one of us differently. That's what we're, how we're supposed to live. He's wired that boy of mine. Whoops, I kind of gave it away. We got three choices, I guess. He, he's wired him to, to seek out where are the injustices? Who needs help in this room? What's not fair and how can I help? He's wired that way and I'm so excited about that. And one child like she is like fired up about like all the fun things we get to do tonight. What are we doing? What's the plan? Where are we going? I gotta have a plan. If not, I'm getting 20 questions because she's excited. She's a futurist. She's ready about she's like she's giving orders. She's like firing up. She's ready to go. Here's the thing. You're 
just like that. And if you can't think of that for your kids, what would be the first thing if I called you every day at 5 o'clock on the dot, if I asked you what was your day like? What would be the first thing you said? That's what it's like to live like Jesus. Take Jesus and apply it to that. Apply it to that. Maybe for you that first thought is how annoying that coworker is. Apply Jesus to that. Maybe for you it's about all the exciting new ideas you have about your new job. Take Jesus and apply it to that. Maybe for you it's this whole idea of how something's not fair and something's not right and this has got to change. Take Jesus and apply it to that. That, listen, listen, that's a takeaway. That's what it's like to live like Jesus in a practical way. Would you stand? Jesus, I ask in your name, with all joy, with all, whew, with all love that you give us through your Holy Spirit, that you have not just forgiven us, you've not just saved us from something, you've saved us to something. That living like Jesus is not just living and sitting comfortably. Living like Jesus is surrender. Living like Jesus is getting busy and on with our life. Living like Jesus is this moment where not just going through life and saying, you know what, I'm doing my Christian life. I'm doing the church thing and I'm reading my Bible and I'm being nice to people. May we come alive in the name of Jesus that we live like him. He smiled, but not fakely. He lived fully. He had weight. He had sorrow. God, you had temptation all around. But then you got on your knees and you gave it to your Father. God, may our life look and pattern ourselves after that, that we have that weight, we have those triumphs, we have those joys, we have those moments, but we bring them to you. And we go back out and we live again. May we be fully alive today, God, in the name of Jesus, that, that ultimately you would be our vision, that you would be the very thing that we'd see. And God, I just pray over conduit that, God, our vision is to see wholeness and redemption in our homes, our churches, and our cities. But today, start with our homes, God. Start with our homes. Start with our hearts. Start with each man and each woman and each child and each heart in this place. And I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.